What's up, QAA listeners? The fun games have begun. I found a way to connect to the internet. I'm sorry, boy. Welcome, listener, to Premium Chapter 138 of the QAnon Anonymous Podcast, the Aryans in Atlantis episode. As always, we are your hosts, Jake Rogatansky, Liv Agar, Julian Field, and Travis View. This week, Liv has fallen backwards off a boat in full diving gear to explore the lost city of Atlantis, the homeland of an ancient Aryan race, according to an American pseudo-archaeologist and Civil War-era politician. In the murky depths, Liv will prop up a whiteboard and explain how these ideas came to find a home in spiritual theosophy before making their way to Austria, where anti-Semitic occultists used it to form a secret society that fueled the rise of the Nazi party. We ask that you not touch the coral, as it is poisonous, and refrain from bothering marine life, as it can become aggressive. Make Atlantis great again. Atlantis is a mythology that one may not expect to have influenced Nazi ideology. This is especially the case considering that, according to a survey done by Chapman University, 57% of the American public believes Atlantis is real. That is shockingly high, Liv. Oh, yeah. Like, no, that's... that's... <laughs> More than one in two Americans I mean... is like, yep, Atlantis, real. I mean, yeah, of course people believe in QAnon. They believe Atlantis? Come on. I'm pretty cynical, but even then, I assume it'd be less than 40%. Thankfully... The American public doesn't agree entirely with Heinrich Himmler's account of Atlantis, (laughs) at the time of writing this at least. Regardless, how did this ancient Greek utopian story, that most of the ancients didn't even take seriously, become so influential, both in the American consciousness as well as within the ideology of prominent Nazi officials like Heinrich Himmler? Our story begins thousands of years ago with Plato. Plato wished to create a parable that could demonstrate the power of the political system he put forward in the Republic. In his dialogue, Timaeus, he constructs the idea of a powerful utopia located somewhere far off in the Atlantic, beyond the reach of any puny ancient Greek ship. This island nation was so strong that it was able to subjugate all the known worlds hundreds of years before Plato was writing. That is, except for the Athenian Republic, which, according to Plato, had lived by his standards for what makes a republic good, and subsequently managed to ward off conquest. This is essentially the equivalent of Plato drawing his Republic as the Chad Wojak and everyone else's soy. (laughs) But more importantly, the mythical land described by Plato that only his special Chad Republic could fight against was known as Atlantis. It's important to stress that the story of Atlantis was quite literally made up by Plato. It is unlike other ancient Greek utopia mythologies that were also made up, such as Hyperborea or the Elysian Plain, that were more widely believed in ancient times and a product of a larger social community building a mythology to help explain their history. Atlantis really was just one guy writing a fake story, and Plato figuratively admits this. He plays around quite a bit with mythology in some of his works, and further explicates in the Republic that sometimes a well-constructed noble lie is necessary to provide the commoners a truth they could not come to understand. So Plato argues that mythology could not hope to meaningfully convey truths about the past, But if these mythologies help develop, for instance, social cohesion, then they would be acceptable to be spread around. As a result, ironically, Plato has accidentally duped millions of people in the future with one of his noble lies, except it is entirely detached from the original purpose of this lie, which was to promote his social system. Interesting. So this is kind of like a bit like if there are millions of people who believe that there is a literal cave in which people were imprisoned and shown only <laughs> shadows of figures. Yeah. Wait, there was? 
They're playing Joss Whedon movies on the wall, and that's why you never look away and leave the adrenochrome cave. (laughs) (laughs) That's all the ancient history that you will get in today's episode. This is because Atlantis... (laughs) Thanks, Liv. Thanks. (laughs) This is firstly because ancient history is boring. But secondly, because Atlantis, as we understand it, as well as how the Nazis did, is almost entirely a modern construction and takes very little from the original milieu which Plato was writing in. Now we have to travel thousands of years into the future, to 1831. Ignatius L. Donnelly was an American politician and writer who single-handedly began the modern craze around the search for Atlantis. In his book, Atlantis, The Antediluvian World, he asserted that Plato's story was, in fact, not a fabrication, but actually a true story documenting the original homeland of all human civilization. Rome, ancient Greece, Mesopotamia, Egypt, etc. all owe their heritage, according to Donnelly, to an incredibly advanced and ancient society located on a now sunken continent in the Atlantic. Donnelly is a part of a long string of dilettantes and pseudo-archaeologists that wish to go against the claims of orthodox intelligentsia and create their own stories about, for instance, the origins of civilizations. This was a time in which archaeology and other specialized academic institutions were beginning to crystallize and alienate much of the public. American academic institutions, for instance, initially interacted with the public, specifically those in towns and cities that had universities and colleges. But in the 19th century, there was a closing off of this participation by the general population in academic discourses. Donnelly is one of many who existed within the reaction to this trend as it was taking shape in American life, turning away from the standards of academic archaeologists and towards his own crank mythologies. The antediluvian world, and the general strategy of a pseudo-archaeology not beholden to the academic standards of actual archaeologists would later influence a multitude of figures, including the theosophists like Helena Blavatsky, and later even Heinrich Himmler, who would be convinced that Donnelly's account of the origin of the Aryan race and of human civilization was at least somewhat correct, and could be proven by his own pseudo-archaeological dicks. To be clear, Donnelly himself was not a proto-Nazi, His political career was quite progressive, and he was a champion of women's suffrage, for instance. But his pseudo-intellectual ramblings, however interesting they were, would most certainly come to influence the belief systems of some of the worst men in history. In an impressive display of human pattern recognition skills, Donnelly collected numerous different ostensibly disconnected origin mythologies and stories from various ancient societies across the world, such as Norse, Egyptian, Mesopotamian, Semitic, Incan, and argued they all have an important common thread, the existence of flood-based origin myths. This common thread is the product of all these civilizations owing their origin to the previously existing, now underwater, society of Atlantis. Donnelly placed the origin of these flood mythologies in the fact that these civilizations were started by Atlanteans, who either conquered or settled in these various areas, and had to flee away from Atlantis after it supposedly sunk into the ocean in around 12,000 BC. You have been listening to a sample of a premium episode of QAnon Anonymous. We don't run any advertising on the show, and we'd like to keep it that way. For five bucks a month, you'll get access to this episode, a new one each week, and our entire library of premium episodes. So head on over to patreon.com slash QAnon Anonymous and subscribe. Thank you. Thanks. I love you. Jake loves you.